This is CliffCentral.com. Future CEOs on CliffCentral.com. Welcome back to Future CEOs. Yes, we're live. We're here in Johannesburg, South Africa, and it's a beautiful day outside. We've had a great conversation with a the founder of a mining company. Now we're moving uh, in a little bit of a different direction. Uh, I don't know if any of you uh, enjoy motorcycles. I don't know if any of you enjoy uh, sexy cars. Um, Tienis, you enjoy motor, motorcycles and sexy cars, yes? Yeah, well, I'm quite, quite the petrol head. <laughs> you, you are quite the petrol head. Um, I'm fortunate to know you, um, outside of the studio and I can definitely confirm petrol head all the way. Petrol head so much so that you've broken bones and a number of yeah, different things. Yeah, that was a little bit in my previous, previous life, if you want to call it that. Okay. But uh, talk, talk, talk to us about your previous life. <laughs> well, look. Um, school, I was never been, I was never be, be able to do the best in school like my parents and everybody wanted me to do. So I was a little bit in the extreme side of things and that was in my blood. Okay. So I always liked motorcycles and liked riding them and always wanted to have one mm. and we could never afford it actually. Okay. And in matric, I bought my first motorcycle and then obviously I got into a little bit of hooligan riding and stunt riding and all that kind of stuff, and then oh, hold on, hold on. I, I had a motorbike when I was younger. <laughs> how do you how do you go from from just riding a bike to into hooligan and stunt riding? Um, I don't really know. Okay, I, th- I think it's in your blood, and okay. once you start, you you don't stop, and it just gets worse and you worse. Just want to push worse. harder and harder. Yeah, exactly, and harder. exactly. Well, well, that's the voice of Tinster Brain. He is the the now owner, and yeah. and I position it that way. Now owner of the Kawasaki. Triumph dealership in Centurion. That's it. You're also the founder of Reconstructed, yes. which is a very sexy brand that we must talk about. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but j- just very, very quickly to all our listeners, uh, describe who you are, a little bit of your background, where you grew up, um, and then let's start talking a little bit of business. Okay, so basically my name is Tiernes de Brain. Um, I own Kawasaki and Triumph Centurion, and also the founder of Reconstructed, as you mentioned. I grew up in Centurion. Um, did my school years in Centurion, well, in a private school, I've been from grade one to grade 12 in, in a, in the same school. And then obviously after, after that, I started working at a dealership, um, because I wanted to be around bikes and wanted to. Yeah, it was in your blood. Yeah. Well, I didn't really think I was going to make a career out of it, but, mm. um, it was always my passion. So I just wanted to be around bikes and I figured if I work at a dealership, eventually I'll get to ride the things. I just want so. to jump in there very quickly because so many people say passion and it's such a, it seems like such an overused word. Definitely. But in, in this particular instance, you knew it was your passion because you just wanted to be around bikes. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's the really the key phrase. You just wanted to be around it. I and mean, then that, that's really an indicator of passion. Yeah. But now you were around bikes. Not as the owner of a of a dealership. No, look, I started in Standard Nine. Actually, did part time work after school. I went to the dealership and washed bikes and made million cups of coffee. That was basically my job. But hold on, <laughs> uh, people are, are saying, but you were at a private school. You must have had this big privileged upbringing. But now you're saying you were making coffee and <laughs> and washing bikes. No, not at all. My dad obviously believes that everything you do in life you must do yourself. So I didn't get really financial support from them, which I'm actually very proud of, mm. and I wouldn't have had it anyway, any any other way. Mm. Um, so we weren't definitely we weren't a poor family, but um, my dad believed that everything we do we must do from the ground up and start from the ground up. And my mother always said, just a dig driver starts at the top. Uh, and okay. So that was their belief, and yeah. they obviously pushed me to get a job, and because I didn't want to go and study, because I was a like like I said, I was an extreme 
junkie and I actually wanted to do going to stunting and international stunting and do stunts for movies and that kind of stuff. Okay. That was my initial idea. Mm. And then obviously my life changed completely. Okay, well let, let's talk about the these changes and these things that a lot of people are wondering about. You started Washing bikes, making cups of coffee. Yeah. Let's talk about the next step. What happens? Okay. So what happened was, uh, I started after school every two, two o'clock after school. I clocked in and I worked until six o'clock in the dealership, washing bikes, learning the basics of mechanics, that kind of stuff. Worked under a lot of people, picking up a little bit of sales skills here and there, that kind of stuff. So after matric, I started there permanently and I started in the workshop. I did basically an apprenticeship in the workshop. But it really wasn't my passion to work on the things. I wanted to ride them and sell them. And okay. That was that was my passion. So then my previous boss, um, he told me that obviously I can't start at the top. I must learn to sell accessories first. Mm. So I wasn't allowed to sell any bikes or anything. So he gave me over the accessory department, which I, which I then did. And I started selling accessories. And I was actually pretty good at it at that stage. And then I found out that, okay, well, I've, maybe I've got a gift for sales. And then basically my passion for motorcycles turned into passion for sales. Okay, well, let's stop. Hold on. Hold on. You, you had a passion for sales. Now, there are very few people in the world that would say, I want to go and sell something. Uh, but you're saying you have a passion for sales. What, what is this? Uh, How did you discover this? What, what is this? I don't know. That's quite interesting. I, I see this business psychology. Um, okay. Not that I study that or I read up on it a lot and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, sales is, is psychological. It's, okay. um, and I've created that, that passion for sales and being able to, to speak to people and deal with people and sell anything, basically. Okay. So my passion for motorcycles, yes, that, that sparked everything. Mm. But my real passion at the moment, and it's been, been that for the last five years is sales. Mm. So if I can sell anything, I'm happy. Well, I, I want to uh, just back you up a little bit here, and it's an interesting nuance. I, I'm fortunate that I've been able to interview CEOs for the last nine, ten years, whatever yeah. it is. And my continual question that I keep on asking, and I don't always ask the CEO himself or herself, I ask this question to myself as I'm interviewing them, as I'm, I'm rubbing shoulders with these yeah. individuals, is what do CEOs actually do? What do CEOs actually do? And one of the core, core, core competencies, one of the core things that they are doing on an ongoing basis is they're selling. Yeah. So a CEO is actually a salesman. He's Look, just selling a very uh, big behemoth in some instances and sometimes a vision, but he's, he's still selling or she's still selling. Look, um, like, like, you know, I've owned the dealership now for quite a couple of years mm -hmm. and I've got a lot of staff um, working for me at the moment and I had a lot of staff turnover in the past and I've dealt with a lot of salespeople. I buy my own cars. I deal with other salespeople. Like you deal with salespeople every day. Mm. Every single day, day that you go in, you deal with some sort of salesperson. Mm. There's, in my opinion, I might be wrong, but there's not one company in this whole entire world that's not based on sales. Absolutely. So, and I think that's where, where I got a little bit lucky to, to get the passion for sales because if you're a good salesman, you'll never have, or you'll never be out of a job. Yeah. You know, if you can sell something and people don't realize that people go and study all this kind of doctor degrees and that and this and psychology degrees and all that kind of stuff. If you can't sell yourself at the end of the day, your company is basically mm -hmm. useless in my opinion. Uh, it's interesting because we are selling ourselves all the time. Definitely. And that's probably why so many people want to dress up in Armani suits and fancy, exactly. fancy uh, shoes and big watches, these kinds exactly. of things, because you feel like it's part of the sale yes. of yourself. And so, yes, sales is at the core of a absolutely everything. Any business is, is sales. Okay, so th your three 
lessons in sales right now as we sit across from each other? Te- teach me how to sell. <laughs> <laughs> put you on the spot. Look at that. Yeah, you, de- you definitely put me on the spot there. It's quite interesting. Listen, one of the biggest, biggest tips I can give anybody is people buy from people. Okay. Okay. So it doesn't matter if you've got a good product or a bad product. Um, look, obviously product is 80% of the sale. If you don't want the product, you're not going to buy it. You're not going to be there in the first place. Yes, but there's a lot of competition. I mean, you can go and buy a Kawasaki at any other dealership. Mm. But the chances are if you walk into my dealership and you meet me as a person, the chances are you're going to buy the bike from me than versus one of my competition guys. It's just because the passion is there and the well you you said people yeah i mean you, yeah, you I'm meet a, I'm them a on a human person, exactly. human uh, element or yeah. human connection exactly so point, that's yeah. definitely number 1 is is um being able to deal with people and not because you have to because it's fun okay so yeah. so let, let's let's explore that for a moment uh how, what do you do so someone walks in that you've never seen them before they walk into your dealership how do you approach them so that's actually a very interesting question because um car dealerships and our dealership is completely different car okay. dealerships is you go and buy the car you deal with the salesman you know he does the deal you go to the f and i lady she does the finance you go pick up your car and you never talk to them again mm. when you go back you deal with completely different people mm. you know and it's it's not a it's not a passionate thing to buy a car except if you buy a Ferrari. But um, there's no lifestyle regarding that. If you walk into my dealership, that's why we've got I've, I've got a lot of um, different clientele. I've got people that buy sim scooters for twenty thousand rand, and then I've got people that brings in Porsches that's worth three point five million rand. Mm. So my philosophy is to always treat the people the same. Okay. You know, whether he buys an air filter from me or he spends three hundred thousand rand on his car. You must treat the person the same. Mm. And you never know who that guy knows, actually. Mm. So <clears throat> to answer your question, um, it's actually a passionate thing. So you can become friends with the, with the people quite easily. Um, a lot of people come into the dealership with a perception that they bought a car the other day and they don't really care about the salesman. They, they're just here to buy a motorcycle. Okay. Until they get to understand us and know us and, and, and see how we work, then they actually become part of our group mm. and part of our friendship. Okay, so uh, you're saying that you're almost selling a lifestyle of sorts. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so so it's a... The, the, and lifestyle means that you can uh, that you can sell across different uh, yeah, as, as you say, accessories and, and all sorts of different things. I mean, there's, there's the bike itself, then there will be a helmet, there will be a a uh, a jacket then there will be the servicing then there will be the reconstructed upgrades yes. that are going to come along as well yeah. uh, we must talk about that Let, let's go there in just a few seconds but the point is that you can sell all of these things why because you're selling from a core which is I'm your friend in in, in motorbike passion yeah exactly and whatever you need I'll, I'll, I'll be there to sort it out and I know that about you. I mean, you you are one of those individuals who will bend over backwards to get whatever your client needs whatever your friends need yeah Exactly, definitely. and I mean, and and I know it's true because I'm, I'm I've seen <laughs> it and, and experienced it. Yeah. But let, okay, let's talk about reconstructed. Uh, where did this thing start? Because it hasn't been around for as long as you have. No. Um, by the way, we also have we've skipped over your journey from uh, the coffee making coffee to owning. Okay, so let's go there first, maybe. Yeah. Um, so basically, then I worked on accessories. I did accessory sales. I did exceptionally well in accessory sales, and my boss decided to give me a. Give me a go in the bike sales, and um, obviously I did well there as well because it was my passion and mm. that was the only thing I focused on. I didn't see it as a career or a job or a, or something that brings me in money, but I literally saw it. 
I want to try and sell as many bikes as I can because mm. it's fun. Mm. Every bike I delivered was was fun, and so I've been a salesman then for, then for quite long. And I worked with both partners. There were two partners in the business at that stage. So eventually, I made the one partner offered to buy him out, and I'm very grateful for him for giving me the opportunity to actually do it. And I bought out his 50% of the shares. How does that happen, though? So I, I can hear our listeners saying, hold on, you don't just buy someone out. Yeah, exactly. How, how does that actually happen? What are the mechanics of it? Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of people think, okay, maybe your dad gave you money, or how do you get yeah, the money yeah. to actually buy that person out? So How do you even get the opportunity to do it? <laughs> I mean, these are all the questions, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. So basically, I worked... I worked for, did a couple of things on the side as well, also selling. So I started my own registration company. So we did a lot of registrations and stuff for big, big car dealerships. Okay. Where I did the re- registrations for them. Um, I employed a runner to go and do that stuff for me. So I made quite a lot of money off that. Okay. And then obviously I, s- I bought and sold cars and bikes on the side as well. Mm. So which my, po- my, my previous bosses knew about. Mm. But you only have a certain amount of money that you can spend on tradings and that kind of stuff. Sure. So, if they basically, if you want to call it a kitty, if their kitty is full, um, then I would buy the rest of the stock. Oh, okay, and so so it was a real a good situation with very, your partners as well. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. So then we used to split the profit. So if they can't do a trading, I will buy their bike, and they're going to walk away from the deal anyway because they their kitty is basically full on mm. trades. And then if I sell it, then we split the profit. And that's how I did that for about four years to, to build okay. up my kitty. Okay, so four years. We're, yeah. not, we're not talking about a year. We're not no. talking about two years. We're talking about no. four years of the – and I'm going to use a, maybe the wrong term, but flipping really. Yeah. And, and building this, this capital yes. amount that, that – yeah. what's interesting about this is so many people would potentially have – Seen that money and started spending it elsewhere. Yeah, you true. were saving it. No, I wasn't saving it. I was buying new stock. Okay, so I okay. could never spend it because it came into my account, and the next day I bought another one. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm very still doing that at the moment. Very interesting. Okay, no, no. Yeah, but I mean, that, my business. That, that's a it's a really important, uh, I think, lesson there. Yeah. Is that if you don't have the money in your account, you can't spend it. Exactly. Uh, but if also if you don't have the money in account in your account, you can't pay make people. money with it. Yeah. So uh, there must have been some moments where you've now. Not had cash, you know, payroll issues. No, definitely. Uh, end of the month comes and you start to sweat. Yeah, you see, that's, that's, I still run my business like that. So I hate money in my account. Sometimes a bank comes to me and says to me, you basically, you don't have any money in your account. <laughs> you know, and you, listen, and listen, you're basically broke. <laughs> yeah, listen, you're basically broke. And yeah. I think we must close your doors. But at the end of the day, I'm sitting with a lot of stock mm. and a lot of good stock that I can sell. So if there's 200,000 rand in my account or 2 million rand in my account, it doesn't matter how much, how much it is. If that's sitting there, I'm not earning interest on it. Mm. And the amount of profit we make on um, bikes and the amount of times we flip it within a month, if you want to call it flip, mm. um, it makes me a lot more money than to invest that money at all. Yeah. So I'll never invest my money in anything else. Um, I've had a lot of investing opportunities and that kind of stuff, which I'll never do because I make my own money with my own money. Mm. So I've just got the philosophy, if, if I've got money in my account, then it's not working for me. It's not, yeah, and, and it is. It's exactly that. It's yeah. taking your money and making it work for you. And in your particular case, the way that it does that is through stock. Exactly. Yeah. So yes, I have put my balls on the line, if you want to call it like that, <laughs> yeah. and bought ten used motorcycles um, on the twentieth of the month, and I must do payroll on the fifth. 
<laughs> you know. <laughs> so then you're basically sitting with no money in your account, and I, I, I don't believe in credit and overdrafts and all that kind of stuff. So I'm basically, I really don't have any money in my account. Mm. So then it all comes down to selling stock before you do payroll. Mm. And with that, um, you know, you, you build up your kitty at the end of the day. So you can, you can put a little bit of reserve in for, for let's say a month or so. But if you've got a, if you've got a tough month, it's very dangerous ground to play on. Mm. But it's always worked for me, um, luckily. But now I've got a little bit of a reserve. But if I didn't do that, I would have never had that reserve. It's interesting how if you buy a car, um, often it can be seen as a bit of a liability of sorts yeah, on, on a balance sheet. But in your particular instance, what you're doing, because it's stock, it's definitely an asset. Yeah. And so, uh, and the real definition of an asset that, uh, that I love is something that is bringing money in, yes. generating revenue. Definitely. Well, that's a business. That's a business side of things. Everybody says, yes, you'll, you will lose money on bikes and cars. No, no automotive industry or, um, automotive um, investment is really investment. You will mm. lose money on it. Um, but us as dealers, we obviously work on trade and retail pricing. So, um, we have to make our money. That's the bottom line. That's why dealers exist. Exist, yeah. So, yes, I've never lost a cent on a bike or a car, um, even in my personal capacity. So, but it's because I'm in the industry. I know what to buy and I know, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to lose money on anything. So I've never lost money on anything like that but it's very hard for the for the public outside to lose money uh, mm. not to lose money on a vehicle mm. um, I reckon you can do that but you, you must drive it for not longer than six months or a year well, at least you know what you're doing. So, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm certain that these are the kind of conversations that you have with your clients. Yeah, definitely. Let's, uh, so you, you, at this point, you've built up enough money to buy your partner out. You do that. Uh, you, in fact, I think you do it twice because yeah. now you're the full owner of, of the dealership that you're in. Yes. Um, I don't want to spend too much more time there. Let's go to reconstruct it okay. very quickly because I, I've, to a certain lesser or larger extent, been exposed to the full journey of reconstructed. Yeah. Um, it was an idea that you had. I remember you showing us pictures and saying, look how sexy this is. Look, look what this looks like. Yeah. Um, and uh, so what is reconstructed? So reconstructed is basically a sideline company that I started within my dealership. Um, the reason why I didn't do it with out the, outside the dealership is I want everything under my control. So I want everything to be on the same premises. So I started Reconstructed, um, was basically I built myself a bike. Um, it was a Triumph rocket that I bought brand new out of a crate, pushed it out and then literally pushed it out of the crate. And started and, dismantling it. And st- yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we literally took the whole bike apart, cut the frame. And only you would do that. Yeah. I don't know anyone else that would do no, that. No, I think there's, there's <laughs> some people that will probably do it. But, um, yeah, it's it's quite hectic to see a brand new 200,000 rand bike. You push it out the crate and you start um, cutting off the frame with the angle grind. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then obviously I stripped the motor out and I sent it to Carpenter Racing in um, U.S., it's the guys that does the land speed records and all that kind of oh, stuff. Wow, so okay. basically what I wanted, I wanted to build a one of a kind bike for myself mm. to, um, to have the biggest, meanest, baddest rocket in the world. Mm. And that's exactly what I, what I did. Mm. And that's where Reconstructed actually started and sparked. So as soon as I, I, I've done that bike, every, it just pulled so much attention and it brought a little bit of a different, different industry to to my current business mm. and that's what I capitalized on so now that's basically what I do so reconstructed is not really a you bring me your bike and I put accessories on or do small little stuff I literally dismantle the thing and 
and change it completely. Oh wow! Okay, so uh, just just name drop then for all those petrol heads out there who know what bikes are. What what have you worked on? Anything, okay. <laughs> everything basically. So obviously Ducatis, Triumphs, um, Kawasaki's, Suzuki's, um, BMWs, um, anything, anything. Mm. I had a guy, um, built a World SPK spec Ducati Panigale S for um we spent about a million rand on that bike oh wow yeah so yes um that's the kind of stuff that we are into on mm. reconstructed then obviously reconstructed has also become a become a lifestyle so we we're busy with the clothing clothing range and that kind of stuff yeah which, you, which you're wearing here. yeah yeah true we'll, we'll, we'll post some photos <laughs> yeah cool it's a cool brand so um yes that's what reconstructed is and i started reconstructed on bikes and Look, the clients with the expensive bikes has got expensive cars. Mm. And then we slowly moved into the car side and automotive side as well. So I started to sign up a lot, a lot of um, brands that we import and distribute and that kind of stuff as mm. well. So, which is also a challenge. Mm. Um, but now at the end of the day, we are moving big time into cars as well. But I'll never lose my passion for, for my dealership, you know. Mm. So, but that's what reconstructed is basically. When I when I strip it all down, when I when I start taking an angle grinder to your story, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it really does sound like what you have done though is you, you've got smarts, a certain kinds of of selling smarts, yeah. um, a certain kind of outlook when it comes to the way that you use your money. You, you said you're debt free. Which is, which is, but it's a remarkable thing. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to, you're not geared in any way in, or, in your approach to business. Um, and then you also have this people centric approach. Would you say that that really has, has been what has made, made you and sometimes the lack of those things breaks people? Yes, definitely. I've had a lot of, um, support from friends and current clients. And support that comes back, you know, so, mm. and. Yeah, return clients. Yeah, return clients. 80% of my, my clientele is return clients. So for me, literally 80% is return clients as well. Um, on the bikes selling side of stuff, I've also got a lot of return clients, but on reconstructed, it's quite massive and it's mm. word of mouth. So, you know, at the end of the day, like I said to you, people buy from people and it's the way you look after your clients and the way you, you make them feel. And the quality you deliver on the on the builds you're doing yourself, mm. and that must be that must be spot on. It sounds like your one big challenge, though, would be that uh, scalability. It sounds like it's very very centered on you. Uh, there's an ethos. There's a, uh, a as you said, a passion. There is even an eye uh, that is very you focused. Yeah. Um, See, uh, how, do, how do you scale a business like that? Do you do you even need to? Do you want to? These are lots of questions that you'd have to answer before it. But scaling seems like it would be a challenge for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, look, I've had my biggest. My, I think my biggest challenge in my whole dealership and my whole business is staff. Mm. At the end of the day, staff staff is ninety percent of staff is just there to earn their salary, mm. and they don't have the same passion as as this, as, sure. as we did. The directors of the company does, and that was one of my biggest challenge. If you if you would have asked me what's my biggest challenge, I would have said staff mm. and training staff and getting the right staff in. And it took me about three to four years to get the staff where we are now. Mm. And I think ninety to maybe a hundred percent of my staff is exactly on the same page as I am, mm. and they're doing it for the right reasons. So um, yes, I couldn't have done it without my staff at the moment. But to give 
the company over to somebody to run or to start a company in Cape Town like this will be very, very odd. Very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like it. But uh, you're an, a unique individual. We, we've run out of time with you uh, today. But thank you for coming yeah. and sharing your story. I, I, you know what I love about your story, which is often very different from other entrepreneurs, is the extent to which you have invested yourself in your business. Yeah. And it's not about the the frills and and fancy uh, shoes and all sorts of different things. It's uh, this is real, real raw passion that you have yeah, for for it's. business. Uh, before we go, in ten seconds, ten seconds. If you could look back and you could talk to the twenty year old twenty year old you, future CEO you, what would you say to that individual? Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Okay, well, well, that that's then how we'll close. Good luck to all of you out there who are start running your own businesses, who are in your careers and looking to fast track those careers. Good luck. Uh, but uh, you know, luck comes from hard work. It Definitely. comes from a, from passion. Tennis, thank you for sharing your story with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, we'll be back same time, same place next week here on Cliff Central Live. It's Future CEOs. My name is Gareth Armstrong. Thanks for joining us. Future CEOs on Cliff Central. Dot com. This is cliffcentral.com.